By the way, I am on the Mac, have been primarily. Uh, I told Mallory yesterday that it looks like I'm spending more time on the Mac than I am on Windows unless I'm working. So it kind of inadvertently fell into place what I said I was going to try doing. And I've got mixed feelings about it. Like yesterday when I called you to say, hey, how do you get to the top of the file? Because it was a simple command that I should have known, but I was trying the Windows key command and it was not working. <laughs> mm. That makes sense, though, because there's the Mac is very different depending right. on where you are also. Like inside of a text edit, you know, text window, they're typing, you know, it's command up arrow, command down arrow uh, to jump to the beginning or end. Or, but then the voiceover command to jump to the end of a window, which doesn't always work inside of a text editing situation, is FN. That's probably why you kept hitting FN, too, because you yeah. probably were thinking about F. Hold on, I got to. FN, VO keys, and then right arrow will jump you to like the end of a window uh-huh. or end of a section or something. But that doesn't always work in a text editing situation. Uh, so, yeah. And then if you're on a list like in Finder or something and you're arrowing <laughs> up and down, it's option up arrow to jump to the top and option down arrow to jump to the end. So so my my confusion going from Windows to Mac is, is understandable. <laughs> exactly. It, it is as expected, Mike. Yes. It is as expected. It's Damasi and Michael just talking tech. I want to throw out a thing before we get into it, just to any listeners who are Mac users that are expert level or have experience with anyone who's been able to do this. Me and Mike got into a conversation the other day because he was checking out discord he's like oh yeah they made some scripts for uh it was a doug you said doug made scripts yeah, for uh jaws and uh discord and i know doug's also made scripts that mike has used for slack and teams uh, uh, and teams on windows <laughs> uh, yeah that's actually how we got into that conversation i was asking you about yep. teams because somebody i'm working with was thinking about trying out teams and i'm really hoping that they decide it's too expensive to go down that road because uh, i don't frankly want to have to deal with it uh I think I might just throw Slack out there as a, as a thing. Like, we'll just try this Slack thing, man. <laughs> uh, but the, the conversation that me and Michael ended up having subsequently, because we can't just stop at one particular, hey, Mike, how do you do this? And then, okay, we'll talk to you later. Oh, that's not how these <laughs> conversations tend to go most times. Uh, so uh, chatting about the fact that it is quite easy, uh, easy being a relative thing, but it's, it's fairly common, I guess, would be a better way of saying it. It is common to have uh, someone like Doug Lee or um, someone else. I, I toyed around with JavaScripts back in the days, long, long time ago. Uh, XP days, people, XP days. No, mm-hmm. don't call me. Can't help you. Uh, but to have someone write JavaScripts or to have a set of JavaScripts written to make a specific application on Windows uh, more accessible and navigable, usable, um, with JAWS, uh, and I think there's also some capabilities there for similar things with NVDA, whether it's through the add-ons mechanism, and I feel like there's something else you can do there, too, that I'm not remembering. But on the Mac, like, I don't have any knowledge whatsoever of a way to do a thing like that. Um, it's like you have to fall back to the developers to solve the problem, or it doesn't get solved unless there's something obvious there that I'm missing. Apple script is the only thing I can think of, but you don't really have that flexibility to go find a specific element inside of an Apple script 
as what you would with JAWS, for example. Yeah, but see, Apple Script is also dependent upon the application that you're trying to fix or even automate uh, <sighs> supporting Apple Script, right? Yeah. Like, if they don't support Apple Script, there's nothing you can do there. Uh, I did have a thought about, like, well, JAWS, I mean, uh, VoiceOver, the Mac itself does support, um, you know, scripting and automation with JavaScript. So maybe there's something there you could do. Uh, but I feel like that would be limited to a certain extent based on application again applications right they don't necessarily have to support that i don't think uh but i'm not a javascript expert so i don't know but i could imagine certain situations where you still couldn't retrieve objects and then present them to voiceover in a meaningful way even through javascript so just curious if anybody else has ideas or knows uh specifically of a way to you know manually through user uh, actions make something more accessible with voiceover on the Mac in a similar way that you can use JavaScripts on Windows. Head on over to your own pay.com slash DM65 to figure out how to get a hold of us on social media, <coughs> Twitter. Uh, and uh, yeah, you'll also find links to anything we mention in today's show. Um, Including Doug's scripts. Yes, yes. I will put a link to all of his scripts and then the ones that I'm specifically using in uh, the show notes. Uh, there was something I was literally going to just throw out there and you're going to be like, oh, that was a good transition. And now I can't even remember. So it's. <laughs> this is what happened. Transition derailed. Yes. Where did you want to? Where did you want to go? So, what type of smart TV are you using, if at, if any at all? Or do you just have an Apple TV, or are you not using anything? Um, so, we have a TV that is not a smart TV uh, at all, and it has an Apple TV plugged into it. Uh, I have avoided strenuously in any sort of smart TV because I didn't want to have to put it on the internet or basically deal with anything that didn't need to be on the internet like why buy something so i intentionally bought this television is what i'm trying to say without smarts in it now this tv is also from like 2017 maybe late 2016 uh model i don't remember who made it um but the next television i buy will be a smart tv simply because i'm gonna buy a samsung unless something changes i'm gonna most likely buy a samsung uh because they have the talking menus. So, we're going to go down this path. And Demasi has no clue where I'm going with this. Nope. Just to give everyone a heads up. On the Apple TV, remind me, how do you turn voiceover on and off? Mm, now, see, here's the thing. I don't know. <laughs> because okay. I... I, so I think you triple click the home button on the remote, but I don't actually have one of the. So I do have a fourth generation uh, Apple TV, the one with uh -huh. the app store and all of that, but I don't actually have the remote anymore. So I always connect to the Apple TV and use the remote app on iOS. Uh, and the way that I turn voiceover on there is I just hold down the Siri button inside of the remote app and say, hey, turn on voiceover. So apparently you can press the menu button three times. You can tell Siri to do it. But again, those those depend on you having the remote. Or you mm -hmm. can go to settings, accessibility, voiceover. Mm -hmm. On the Roku, because we have a Roku on TV made by Walmart. It's a 65-inch, I think. And how you turn on their voice access or whatever they call it, that's the first thing. 
all these smart TVs, and I'm going to complain, but let me start out by saying that I am thankful that we have the access that we do. But all these smart TVs and smart devices call their accessibility features something different. Mm -hmm. And on the Roku TV, how you do it is you hit the options button, which is on... There's a four-way D-pad that you can press up, down, left, right, or okay. And then there's a row of buttons directly below, below that. On the right side of that button row, you sl slowly tap that four times. Um, so you hit options, 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 options. Don't do it too fast or it won't register. Well, right there's two totally different ways of activating screen access. Wait a and minute. Hold, hold on. Wait a minute. So don't do it too fast or it won't. What kind of remote doesn't let you fast press buttons? Um, I think it may be the processor in the TV and the remote because you can press it pretty fast. But you so I'm sorry, you, I have completely derailed you. Let's get back. To no, no, it's it's fine. I got I got I got to go down this path. You can hear a little noise when you press it. It's like I, I'm not going to attempt to make the noise, but you hear it. If you press it too fast, then you only hear the noise three times, but you want to hear it four times. So. That's how you do it with Roku. Uh, you And we talked about how you do it with Apple TV. We also have a Fire TV cube thingy. I forget exactly what they're called. And on that one, you hold two buttons down for three seconds. Again, uh, towards the top of the remote. I don't remember the exact ones. But you hold those buttons down for three seconds, okay? That's three different ways to access screen reading features. In Samsung TVs, I don't remember how you do it, but one of the buttons you press three times. So that's different ways to access screen reading technology, uh, which is fine because we have access to it. But for someone who has no experience, like that's, that's really convoluted. And in an ideal world, we would have something, oh, press the power button six times and that'll turn on assistive technology on any device that you have. Unfortunately, we're not there. And I was talking on Kellyco today about The Last of Us Part 2 from a uh, blind user's point of view who isn't a gamer. And they asked me one of the questions was, how accessible is it? And I'm like, well, once you get into the game, it's pretty accessible. But getting into the game can be its own challenge. Mm. Because uh, PlayStation 4 does not have a unified way of enabling their text-to-speech features. You have to go into settings, go down to accessibility, go to text-to-speech, and turn it on. Uh, Benjamin put it on the quick access menu, but I didn't remember how to get there. So uh, just kind of what I was thinking about it earlier today, I'm like, man, that's... Th and then that's a very convoluted process to try to figure out, okay, I have to push these buttons to turn my TV on so I can use it. And then I have to go to this input. And then I have to remember to press up and write until I get to the end of it and down. And, you know, it's it's amazing what we have, but I think it's like in a transition period to where at some point I'll be able to go to the PlayStation, hold R2 and say, turn TTS on or something. And maybe that experience is better in the PS5. I haven't played with it, but. Yeah. So it, this does highlight a thing that I have um, had in conversation with people. I don't think it's ever come up on our show, but I've definitely had this conversation with people uh, over the years, which is there is no. And for me, it started simply if you had a individual who switched from iOS to Android. Um, now, the way to turn on talkback, I think, is more uh, stable. But yeah. there was one point in time, depending on the device that you had even you know well the manufacturer i'll say uh determine how you were to turn on 
the talkback features from the beginning. And in early days, like I remember, you better get them to do it when you buy your phone in Verizon. Because uh, <laughs> if you get home and decide you want to power it up, well, you're going to be pretty much stuck. Um, Drawing a perfect square on the startup screen. Oh, or, man. Or, or, I have yeah. forgotten that one. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Here's the way to deal with this. And look, no insult meant to anyone, right? Because, but let's be honest, sighted people is difficult for them to draw a perfect square if they can't <laughs> see the line that they're drawing. If they're just drawing it in free space, it is very difficult if there's no line to look at to connect it back up to. Asking a blind person with a touchscreen phone to draw a perfect square to turn on voice, uh, talk back is just absolutely asinine. I, I was so upset about it. I can't believe I forgot about that one. <laughs> I do like the way you do it now, though. Just hold the volume up down for three seconds, pretty much anywhere you're in the operating system, I believe, if I remember right. Yeah, and that that is that that is much more palatable, right? Because, and, and look, I, I gave Google a, except for that square thing, I, 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 was, I do remember being a little relentless about that uh, at the time now but i gave google leeway and i I mean that in the sense of like i i tried to be understanding of what the issues were that they had to face uh with creating a unified way of turning on talk back uh for a device first they had to incorporate talk back to be automatically installed because remember back in the days way (laughs) back in the early days you had to go to the play store and download it which meant you're in the phone store buying your new Android phone and you have to give the customer service person, if you didn't have a sighted person with you, that was a, you know, family member, friend, et cetera. Uh, but you're just in the store because you got somebody in a cab to drop you off at the store. So you go get this new phone and you're in the store and you're giving the customer service rep your password to yep. log into Google. You're, gmail account so that you can access the play store and download talk back and then have them turn it on and then you frantically hurry and get home as fast as possible log into your computer and change your gmail password which you promptly forget the next time you need to use it sounds like uh someone has some experience with this man <laughs> but i tried to be understanding of of, of what they had because let's be fair like google could not at any given point guarantee now i don't understand why it took so long to get to the volume buttons being a thing but you couldn't guarantee that a phone was going to have a quote unquote home button, like physical button that you could click three times. Some phones had them. Some phones didn't, uh, you know, there, you know, you couldn't lock up the system gestures that people use to reset their phones involving the power button and the volume button, uh, to do stuff, to bring it up because people will accidentally get themselves into trouble, uh, end up wiping their device or something. Um, so it's great that they finally got there. I honestly think that it took a internal shift within Google to focus more on accessibility before we got the universal uh, gesture that should work everywhere or, or button press that should work everywhere because every phone has to have volume buttons, right? Well, no, as soon as I say that, as soon as this episode drops, somebody's going to release a new phone in 2021 that does not have physical volume buttons. Yep, you swipe up the side and swipe down the side in order to adjust or, your volume. Or the lock button. Because, I mean, why not triple-click the lock button? 
that could have been something. But we're not going to get go down that rabbit hole. My my point between bringing all this up is thank you to manufacturers for making things accessible for the most part. But think about the the little things. You know, how hard is it for someone to turn this feature on, even though though it's going to assist them with being able to use your device and have a better experience? Are they going to easily be able to enable the feature so that they can go to the store and download this? this game and that's not getting me started on the times that you hear text-to-speech is unavailable in this window or text-to-speech is unavailable right here well then why (laughs) man oh man see that brings back nightmares of kindle i remember when the kindle first was released with Uh text-to-speech and everybody's like oh this is awesome what great news well not everybody so the press the press was heralding the, you know, um, what, what, what is innovations it? Innovations that Amazon. Yes, there you go. Uh, you know, they were heralding the innovations of, of, you know, Amazon making the Kindle accessible to people with visual impairments and also people with reading disabilities in general. Just so anyone with a print disability, right? I like that term. Uh, coined by the American Printing House for the Blind, I believe. What a Library of Congress. Whatever. I was going to say, either them or NOS. Yeah. One of them. But the thing that was very quickly discovered by the blind community and slowly picked up by the press, I think, is the fact that Amazon, first off, uh, the text-to-speech was horrible. Uh, it, it was truly horrible. Horrendous. I don't even mm-hmm. think you could adjust the speed in the first version. <laughs> but the other thing that was, to me, somewhat unconscionable from an Amazon standpoint and I probably do mean this to sound the way that it sounds, although I don't really mean to be uh, defamatory to anyone at all. Right. I would have expected something like that from I would have expected the overall outcome of that from someone like the Nook or mm. what was the other other one that was out that was used to be a competitor to Cobalt Reader or something. I would expect it from some fly by night e-reader. Uh you know, Barnes and Nobles with their Nook, and I can't yeah. remember the other company that Amazon also put out of business. Uh, that was a bookstore and had ebooks. But the the point of what Amazon did is that okay, there's text to speech in the Kindle. Never mind that you can't adjust speed. Blah blah blah. Amazon left it completely up to the publisher of their ebooks in the Kindle store as to whether or not to have text and speech enabled inside of <laughs> their book. So what did all of the people from the publishing places do? They turned it off. Now, the reason I found it unconscionable that Amazon did this or allowed this is because one Amazon was obviously has has been and continues to be obviously the biggest uh, provider and seller of ebooks. Yeah. Uh, Secondly, if Amazon understood enough to take a stab at trying to put text to speech in the Kindle in the first place, then it means that they had a grasp of the need and the reason that that needed to exist. Now, communicating this to publishers would have been fairly easy. 
right? Whether it's a form letter sent out by their, their, their marketing people that says, Hey, this feature is being, you know, turned on. You don't have a way to opt out of it unless you can, you know, write us a letter really explaining to us why you don't want your book to be accessible to a person with a print disability, right? This would have been very simple and straightforward for them to do. Could have been a conversation between the higher, higher ups at the different companies, you know, Jeff Bezos or whoever is having lunch with the guy from penguin random house or, or, or whatever and he's like well look you know well you know can you tell me why you're making us use this text-to-speech you know there's piracy it's like yeah but <laughs> dude nobody's gonna actually sit there with a fucking tape recorder and record your book being read out by some slow ass text-to-speech like what are you concerned about what is the problem here uh and that was my problem with that situation i like you agree with that i wish that we first of all i think we as blind people need to figure out a way a standard that we would like to see because everybody has their own opinion. Everybody agrees that there should be a very simple, straightforward way for any device that supports text-to-speech um, when using it and navigating it to have a unified way of turning it on, uh, turning on the text-to-speech. No group of blind people. You get 10 blind people in the room, you're going to get 25 different opinions on how it should be done. Yep. And everybody has their reasons why it should be done that way. Demasi, you've been trying an experiment out, and I'm kind of curious, as of the time of recording this, how that experiment is going. Uh, I think you've been on fast mail for a week now now what is fast mail and why are you trying it and how's it going so fast mail is a email provider uh much like your gmails and your outlooks and yahoos of the world please don't use yahoo for mail okay i cringe every time someone gives me yahoo email at work you too <laughs> oh, man. I, I mean really like sometimes i just want to just go set them up an account and send them login information like man please just just please um here i even migrated your mail over for you because your password from yahoo <laughs> is in this data breach <laughs> uh that aside though Fastmail is a um i would say premium email provider because they don't provide any sort of free services whatsoever it is a paid service um they also provide calendars and contacts uh, in some amount, depending on the plan that you happen to be on, some amount of web storage. Um, I haven't really delved into their web storage because it's weird and they want you to use WebDAV to connect to it. And I don't have time for that. And also doesn't let me share stuff. So whatever. Anyhow, they are a premium email provider. Um, their biggest focus for them has been from the time that they have existed is a focus on privacy. They don't sell your information. They have no inclination to market to you, uh, build profiles on you, et cetera, et cetera. All of the things that people accuse and rightfully so accuse Gmail uh, explicitly at gmail.com email accounts, uh, free Google accounts, if you will. Uh, of doing right now google is upfront about this but their point with fastmail is that you know they are a privacy first company your email belongs to you we're not scanning your email for blah 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 all of those things right they're completely anti-google if you want to look at it that way uh fastmail offers a couple of different levels of plans uh their cheapest is three bucks a month um, that will give you hosted email. You have to go look at the features link will be in the show notes at your own pay.com slash DM 65, uh, to their plans page. So you can take a look at what all you get there. Uh, but there, there are $3 a month plan, uh, as of the time of recording is three bucks. Um, 
does only give you a fastmail.com email or a some fastmail email because you can pick different extensions. You can pick fastmail.com, .net, .ca if you're in Canada, et cetera, et cetera. But you basically, you don't get your own custom domain. For five bucks a month minimum, you do get to use your own custom domain. Um, I switched over to fastmail. There's a couple of higher plans. I also offer business plans for anybody interested. Again, link will be in the show notes. Uh, so you can check all of those things out for yourself. If you're interested now, I've heard about fastmail, uh, for a couple of years. Uh, I cannot remember the first person that told that I heard about fastmail from, uh, I do believe it was a podcaster. I sort of want to say it was Josh DeLion court from accessibility, but I, probably have that wrong um shout out josh i ain't listened to that podcast in a long time right i was just thinking man i should add that to castro because it's still around yeah, yeah. um shelly's on but, i think uh but whomever i first heard about it from i've heard about it from other people over the years and i've taken a look at them here and there uh i of course sound up signed up for google apps when it was google apps um, back in like 2010, 2011, uh, because I wanted to Google stuff, uh, wasn't really interested in fast mail or anything like that. So over the years, uh, for me, for, for people, for listeners who don't know, or haven't listened to prior episodes where I talk about some of the type of, uh, customer work I do, I help people set up their infrastructure. So for their business. So in, in a lot of ways, that also includes setting up email service because a lot of people come in, they register a domain for their website and then they go around using their Gmail or Hotmail or God Yahoo address uh, for communications. Uh, I have for the longest time steered people at G Suite slash what is it today? Google Workspace at the time that we're recording. Uh, I feel like we have to throw that caveat in every time. Like at the time, especially when mentioning something that Google's doing. Right, right. That's what I mean. At the time of recording, it's called Google Workspace. You know, it may change the name again. Uh, but I have recommended that to people simply because I know most people have a Gmail account. So the interface of G Suite is not all that difficult to deal with. It's basically Gmail just branded for your company. Uh, the admin area is a whole different area, but that's a different conversation for a different time. However, getting to their mail is straightforward because they've already used Gmail itself. So they know how all that stuff works uh, in most cases. Now, I also have people who I have recommended Fastmail to because I did use Fastmail about five years ago for about six months for my family email. Uh, I migrated away from that because people were annoying me because they didn't log in and create app passwords and a whole bunch of other stuff that was getting on my nerves. Uh, and frankly, nobody was actually really using the custom family domain email anyway. So why was I paying for it? Um, but I have recommended Fastmail because they're already a decent service. Now, a couple of things about Fastmail that are different, uh, depending on how you set up your G Suite account or your, your Google account even. Uh, Fastmail requires you to create a app specific password for any application that you want to connect to your Fastmail account. So whether that's mail on the Mac, uh, mail on the iPhone, mail on Windows, whatever, calendars on, on you know, even Thunderbird, you know, they want you to put in a app specific password. This is required whether or not you have two factor on on Fastmail. Um, whereas with Google accounts, uh, I don't think they force you to do that unless you have two factor turned on. I have two factor turned on so long on Google. I don't really know what it looks like without two factor. <laughs> uh, but 
Uh, that being said, that that can be a pain if you don't plan out for it. What I decided to do, because uh, number one, just full disclosure on the show, actually. So one, it will probably be a referral link in the show notes to FastMail because I am a uh, well, everybody that has a FastMail account gets a referral link uh, and they just give you credit towards your account. They don't actually give me physical money, uh, but click on it, check it out uh, or just Google FastMail if you don't want to. Uh, use the referral link. Uh, the other disclosure I need to make is that I am a fast mail reseller. So I have the ability to resell service, uh, email service that is provided by fast mail to customers. I have some customers that have paid me for fast mail email access. Um, it's a pretty nice program. Not even difficult to really get into. Uh, but with that being said, I just want to make sure that that is clear to people. Now, I have had a FastMail account since I went back around and said I want to become a reseller because one, G Suite reselling is difficult to get into. Um, for me, at least, because I don't refer that many people uh, to G Suite. Uh, and two, because I have noticed a bit of a kind of pushback against Google from a lot of different directions. Um over the past couple of years. So I felt FastMail will be a good path to follow down just to explore this and see how this goes because not everybody needs G Suite. The other thing that kind of contributed to me going back to FastMail for a reseller position is that a lot of people pay for G Suite and then they're not using the functionality of G Suite. They're just using the mail. Uh, and granted, it's Gmail to them and it's familiar, but they're paying for things that they're not using. And in addition, they're also potentially leaving themselves vulnerable to things that they're not using. Like you have things activated in your account or possibly, you know, pending activation or whatever in your G Suite mm -hmm. account that you haven't dealt with. That being said, what I started to do about a week ago at the time of recording was I moved all of my email. I had an email account set up in FastMail, obviously, to be a reseller. I had to have one. Uh, but it was on a domain that I didn't get a ton of email at. And what I decided to do was to go all the way in on FastMail. So I moved all of my email over from G Suite into FastMail, which was a pretty straightforward process. Uh, you know, anybody has this ability if you go sign up for fast mail they have an import section and they even give you the typical accounts including yahoo so whether well, it's a google or g suite account uh office 365 outlook hotmail yahoo and uh with g suite at least for me uh or with google this is work whether it's a g suite paid or free google account uh you click the link for g for for google and it takes you through the typical, what everybody's probably used to at this point, authentication flow. You go over to Google, you log in, you say, yes, I give FastMail permission to do blah, blah, blah. Uh, those things are to import your mail, import your contacts, import your calendars. Now, you select checkboxes within the FastMail interface as to what you want it to import. Do you want it to import all of your mail? Do you want it to import contacts? Do you want it to get your calendars? The interesting thing with FastMail and Google accounts, don't know if this applies to any other accounts, is that it will actually um, pull in all your emails, sync all that over, uh, and continue to check your Google account uh, if you wanted to do so for email. Hmm. It will also allow you to sync your calendar. So instead of just grabbing your calendar data and pulling it into a FastMail calendar, it will keep your Google calendar and your FastMail calendar in sync. 
which means if you add something to your fast mail calendar, uh, that if you add something to the same calendar that you use in G Suite, so for me, example, this calendar is called personal. If I add something to personal uh, from fast mail, from a fast mail account, that automatically shows up on my Google calendar called personal and vice versa. So if I add it in Google, it automatically shows up on fast mail. Uh, the handy thing about this is that there are a lot more services I know about that will connect to Google Calendar. Yep. Um, which means, you know, so long as I have that calendar available, I can, you know, have data pushed into my calendar and not have to be signed into Google if I don't want to. Uh, but once the import is done, um, all my mail was there. I moved all of my primary domains that I use for actual email uh, over to FastMail, which was a seamless process for me. Be careful doing this if you don't know DNS. They do give you pretty good instructions, but you should still know what you're doing. Uh, but now all of my mail is in FastMail. So when I open up mail on the Mac, iPhone, um, that was going to be one of my next questions is, do you have to use a fast mail app to access your mail? Uh, you don't have to use the fast. There is a fast mail app. So there's a fast mail app for iOS and for Android, uh, but you do not have to use the fast mail app. If you are, I believe, and I'm going to throw out a huge, huge asterisk here because I'm not 100% certain. I think if you're only on the, um, $3 a month plan. So the plan that does not allow you to use, uh, your own custom domain. I think those accounts are restricted to have to use the fast mail app, uh, or use the web interface. If you're on a, on a computer, on a desktop, uh, operating system. Uh, but for any account that has the ability to add their own custom domains, you have the ability to also sync over IMAP. Everything is done over IMAP or pop. I think they still do pop. Don't do pop people unless <laughs> you have a really good reason. Uh, just go with IMAP. Keeps everything in sync. It's nice. It's nicer that way. So uh, are you going to be using fast mail for the foreseeable future, do you think? That I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm liking it so far. Just anecdotally, because I haven't done any sort of real testing. Uh, I don't even know how to actually test this. Uh, but my mail seems to pop up faster. Uh, so an example of, of that experience is I was registering for a new account online and most people send you, you know, the verification, please verify your email address, email, right? Hmm. I had literally just hit the button in Chrome that says, you know, uh, uh, create account or whatever. And like within literally seconds, like I, the page hadn't finished refreshing on the new, on the new screen, uh, in Chrome. And I heard my mail go ding and there was the email. Now, this could have just been a timing thing, um, honestly. Right. It could have but just been it, timing. But it seems more snappy. It's what you're yes, saying. Yes, yes, it does. Uh, I've noticed the same. I've noticed similarly, similarly, ah. I've noticed a, a similar experience uh, with mail on the phone where when I open up mail on the phone, it doesn't seem to take as long, you know, for the little bar down there to say checking for new mail or whatever. Mm. Like it's checking for new mail. Okay, done. All your new mail is here. Uh, so it does seem to be a little bit faster in delivering mail. Again, this could be just an anecdotal thing. Yeah, uh, could be a placebo. Could be the fact that at the time we're recording this, Google is apparently having Gmail problems. <laughs> uh, but I am balancing this experience against year, literally years of me using G Suite, right, and knowing what 
what 2020 of using G Suite mail has been like uh, and how long I have to sit there in the mail app on iOS most times to wait for it to reload. Uh, but I don't know if I'm going to continue using it for the foreseeable future. I do want to see where the pain points are because before I really get on a big push of recommending it and really selling it to customers uh, in the future, I want to make sure that I know where all of the little you know, pain points are, what does it do well, where, where does it fall down at uh, as a service. So far, I'm pretty satisfied. Uh, I don't have any major complaints. The web interface could be a little simpler to navigate, but it's not mm-hmm. clunky. It's just, I think, just just interaction issues, right? Screen reader ah. focus moving uh, occasionally, uh, which is nothing new in the web world. Uh, so that is some feedback that I will be passing to them about their web interface. Uh, but from my perspective, like after I got everything set up, I'm pretty much good. Uh, again, the reason I tried this because I really want to kind of get a feel for what it's like, right? Because I feel like there are going to be a lot more people looking to go to a different service. It is a different alternative uh, to your larger companies like Google. Uh, like I don't have a problem with Google for anybody. This like I'm not, you know, oh jump ship on Google. One thing that pushed me into this also is the change from G Suite to Google Workspace. Not because it changed their name, but because it changed their pricing structure and what you get for a particular price. Uh, where I'm sitting at right now with G Suite for business, my account would cost me an extra six bucks a month to keep exactly what I have right now. Like basically the same features and functionality that I have right now. Storage space is the big thing. Uh, just to put a yep. point on it, like the, the storage space would cost me an extra six bucks a month, uh, over what I'm currently paying right now. Uh, so that was the impetus. Now, will I ever completely abandon Google altogether? That I can, categorically say probably not uh because it's too useful for a lot of things but if fast mail continues to be a service that i want to use in the future going forward uh then it does free me up for some different options with google like i do need to hold on to drive because i don't want to go back to dropbox at all uh the drive file stream app on the Mac is treating me better in a couple of years that I've been using it than I yeah. think uh, Dropbox ever treated me on the Mac. So mm-hmm. that is one primary reason. Uh, I do like to share drives in the way that it's like it is is very set up, very nice for sharing and, and inviting people on to folders and etc. So. But I do now have more options if Fastmail is a viable alternative because I could completely change the structure of my 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 payments to google based off the features that i actually need from google um if it's just storage space i could just pay them for storage space Uh, right so that is demasi's experience with fast mail and it's 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 been an adventure for sure it sounds like (laughs) you know it 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 was actually a to be honest, like this is this was super straightforward. Like I have moved mail for a couple of people a few times, like yep. from one service to another, like from their their hosting company to G Suite uh, or whatever, and that shit can be painful. Uh, 
you have to use a command line tool called MailSync, no IMAP sync, right? To, to, for some, for a lot of this, like yeah, it's, yeah, it, it it gets painful. Uh, this process has been pretty straightforward. I really do like the way that they allow you to just connect direct to Google and pull your stuff in and keep everything in sync. So like, I turn this off because I move my primary Google domain to point to FastMail. If Michael wanted to, or anybody else for that matter, wanted to experiment with with FastMail. Uh, you could have it pull in all your mail from your current account, uh, Google especially. I, I would imagine this probably works the same way with Microsoft Mail, maybe the others. Uh, but instead of shutting down your old email account, all your mail still continues to go there. But FastMail is in the background checking it over IMAP connection and just sucking it in as it as it appears. <laughs> right? Same thing with the calendar thing. The only thing it does not keep in sync is your contacts. So yeah. if you import your contacts, those are not going to stay in sync. You start adding new contacts in FastMail, they will not show up anywhere else. Uh, but I found it pretty nice. I, I have found it uh, pretty nice. Uh, Feature-wise, there's parody. Like, I have aliases. Uh, you don't have to do the weird thing that you have to do with Google. Uh, so, we should explain the plus trick for people that don't know about it. <laughs> yes, yes. So, I will give my my explanation of it, and you fill in the blanks because you probably understand it more. For me, for example, my email address is michael at yourownpay.com. And let's say that I'm using, uh, I don't know, eBay or something. I could use michael plus eBay at yourownpay.com. Is that correct? And it would still yep. go to my inbox, but it would look yep. like a different, a different email address to the system that I'm registering for. So a person can quickly create different email addresses associated with something uh with with a service itself now can you block that plus ebay do you know or you could you would so, just filter it out so yeah that's that's what you i mean i guess maybe you could just say drop any yeah you would have to basically create a filter in in gmail or google uh that says you know any any email sent to this address just you know delete it send it straight to trash or whatever that would be the filter rule but the reason that you would do this is for that reason is that so that you can filter so um i usually use some version of the site's name when i'm signing up for a new service that i know is going to send me a bunch of mail but i want the thing they're trying to give me right now i want that but i don't want to probably deal with all your crap mail mm -hmm. you can do this with a regular gmail account too can't you yes you can yeah yeah, it's, it did good. Good deal. Yeah, it's not a a G Suite uh, restricted feature. It actually works for Gmail. Uh, I discovered it when using Gmail, uh, and then have just sent continued to use it with G Suite. Uh, Fastmail support these. Now, here's the difference for people who are G Suite customers, and I implore you that if you know that I'm absolutely wrong about what I'm finna say, once I say it, uh, you know, go to jerompay.com/dm. 65 if you're new and figure out how to get in touch and let me know hey you're wrong i don't think i'm wrong because i've been doing this for too long <laughs> um so obviously with a gmail.com account you only have your one username uh so if your name is demasi well if you have demasi at gmail.com uh hit me up uh <laughs> <laughs> but if that is your email address, you can only use Demasi plus something at gmail.com, right? Now, as a G Suite customer, you have your own domain. You can make aliases of your address. So Michael has Michael at your own pay .com. 
Uh, Michael could also make podcast at your own pay.com. I don't think that exists, so don't email it because it's going to bounce. Yep. Uh, but he could make that as an alias address, not an entirely new user, but just an alias address for his email. And again, he could use that to filter or he could just use it in specific places where he's like, this is the email address I want people to email me about for this. Now, grand, right? Mike has Michael at your own pay.com as his main email address and he has podcasting at your own pay.com for a you know publication address like it's how you get yep. in touch with me talk to me about podcasting um mike could still do the plus trick with podcasting so it could say podcasting plus podcast deals at your own pay.com for example for the newsletter that comes from the podcast deals people mm-hmm. um here's the problem what mike cannot do is make up a random address at mike at your own pay.com and have email sent into his inbox without going through a lot more mm. configuration deep down inside of the admin area than most people are going to know how to do or want to do or want to do uh, for that matter. Yeah. Fastmail makes this very simple. Uh, the, the buttons are right there as you're setting up your domain. And it's very easy to just go back to domains and edit domain and change these settings. Uh, but you know, you can say use plus addressing where anything, anything sent to, you know, uh, mydomain.com forward to this person or sent to this, you know, anything plus anything sent here or anything at this domain sent there, et cetera, et cetera. What it, what it removes the need for, I'm explaining the, the options very badly, but what it removes the need for is, for example, if Mike was on Fastmail and he wanted to use, um, podcast at your own pay.com well in the g suite world he would either have actually had to go in and set up his uh incoming mail rules to say anything sent to you know have a catch-all address basically anything sent to a random address at your own pay.com just send it to michael at your own pay.com he would have to go do that it's not easy to find that feature uh, or that setting and set it up in uh, g suite in fastmail if Mike just sticks with the defaults when he adds his domain to Fastmail, he doesn't have to do anything. He could throw out any random email address he wants to in the world <laughs> that ends in at your own pay, and Mike would get it. Hmm. Um, is there, because I, I see a problem with that. So if someone knew your domain that you're using for Fastmail, they could go create a random letters and numbers and start spamming you and you wouldn't even know it? Or I guess that's not really much different than someone just putting in your email address so into a form seems like a lot of headache yeah, uh, yeah. for for nothing you can also optionally if that is a big concern like you you could optionally just say you know if, if it doesn't match any known user here or it's not an alias of a, of a you know user here just drop it right, right like you could right. do that uh, which is what google does by default but whether or not you think the Hey, send anything to anything and have it come into this address uh, is a good idea or not. It, the options are, I think, very straightforward, very well explained within the interface, despite my bungling of explaining what the different options are. Uh, and they're right there as you're setting up the domain. You don't have to go digging through an admin interface to find them, uh, which has always annoyed me with Google, because every time I need to do it, I have to basically go read the support document to remember how to get there. But that's my experience with Fastmail thus far. I'm liking it. I am going to try to stick with it, barring me running into a major issue somewhere for at least three months just to get a full feel for it. And I will make a decision about what to do after that. I may stick with it uh, for the long term and do something else with Google or I may run back to G Suite. 
I personally am looking for a possible alternative to Google Drive. Not that I'm necessarily going to move away from Google Drive, but I would like to know another option that's not Dropbox. Uh, iCloud. Yeah. Have you done anything with iCloud sharing for folders? Uh, A little bit. A little bit. It's mostly with people who don't do very much, so I don't end up moving a lot of files around between me and them because they don't really do shit. Uh, So... Not as much as I would like. Yeah. Uh, that that has occurred to me because I do know that the only problem is if you're working with somebody that's on Android, not everybody knows about that little app I found, which I can't remember the name of. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I would actually mention it in the official show and then link to it, but I don't remember the name of it. But it looked like it worked. Right. Uh, to sync your iCloud crap over. There, and honestly, I think there's not a whole bunch of people who know that there's an iCloud control panel for Windows that will give you access to Drive. A uh, quick security note that I need to throw in there because I got it from Bartby.ie. Actually, it was from the Nasili cast. Uh, if you are using the control panel for iCloud, update it because there was a security patch recently published. And if you haven't updated it and you're hearing this now, that security patch was, was published six weeks ago. So please get it done. Get on top of that. ASAP. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, As I was that. making that security announcement, I was thinking, I'm like, man, they, they better have updated it by now because that's a bit old. Yeah. But look, man, I mean, companies get hacked all the time because they didn't update something. that There was a patch mm. clearly available for like six months ago. Yeah. No names to be mentioned here. So I'm going to be playing with Android a little bit. I am super happy with the Apple Watch ecosystem with the iPhone. I honestly might end up selling my semi-broken iPhone on eBay because people will pay for it because they think they can fix it. And then drop that uh, the money from that towards, I'm thinking an 11 is what I'm really going to end up going with for my primary driver. Uh, Gives me a lot of the newer features. Uh, I want face ID. A lot of blind people do not. I do. I, I It's one of the things I kind of miss. And um, it, it gives me a decent battery. And I save money versus going right for the 12 is, is my initial thoughts on that. Although a 12 would be nice. And if I got, you know, more than half of the cost of a 12 for my phone off of eBay, then maybe I would think about it. But right this second, that's that's my potential plans. Got to get this 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 holiday done um should be done by the time you're hearing this it better be done by the time you're hearing this like man if you still on holiday shit by the time people hear this bad something went horribly wrong yes yes so maybe i'll have a new phone then but the other thing that that's really got me hesitating on getting a new phone is right now my phone is kind of working like it's supposed to uh kind of for the most part uh but a m1 mac that I'm interested in too, especially when yesterday I was doing something in Finder and I got the busy, busy, busy. And I'm like, I'm just trying to browse my fucking files. Like, why are you Ain't busy? That the worst? It's like, I don't even understand why this is happening right now. Like yeah. what, what could you possibly be doing that would cause you to be busy? I have no idea. So, so you've gotten that before too? <laughs> yes. And here's the thing. So before anybody actually writes in that, here's this, uh, so for me, at least in the finder, I have my founder, my finder uh, on Mac OS set to list mode. 
uh, which means there should not be any preview. And I've turned off everything possible setting in Finder that says preview this, show a preview of that, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So you shouldn't be trying to render a thumbnail image of the file. You shouldn't be trying like that shouldn't be taxing when I'm just scrolling through a list of files. Uh, I'm not an icon view, so I'm not in cover flow or whatever it's called now with the, the, the you know, none of that. Right. I'm just right. in list mode, not even th- column mode. I'm in list mode. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't I don't get it. But, uh, so a, a technology upgrade in the not too distant future from when you hear this will be likely in my life. Uh, probably if we're being honest, it'll be a new phone unless I get the pixel up and running. And then I do the family sharing with my Apple watch from my iPhone 10. Cause that is something I could do. And then I play with that and that experience isn't horrible. Then maybe that'll be what I do, but web browsing. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Web browsing people. Oh, that's what my topic was. The fucking browsers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got about 10 minutes for this. 10, 15 minutes. For what? We can, uh, I just want to go on my... Have this discussion, basically, because I don't even want to write about it, but have a discussion about the web browsers because it's disturbing to me that so much stuff is being built explicitly for chrome right like it doesn't even work in firefox or safari i know why some stuff doesn't work in safari but you you like chrome is basically taking over the world at this point it has but i think it's because of the chromium engine not specifically chrome in the chromium engine driving most of the browsers edge uh what's that other secure one that i can't think of off the top of my head Brave? Yeah, Brave. The ones who Uh, were rerouting you to dropping in their affiliate codes on the end of links that you went to? Those guys? Yep, yep, those guys (laughs) that are that are supposedly secure. Uh and and there's a lot of other browsers that are based on the Chromium infrastructure, but still I've I've encountered what you're saying as well, that oh, this was built with Chrome in mind. You must be running Chrome. And not all the time do I want to be running Chrome, especially when I'm on the iPhone. My problem with it is a couple of things. So we've already been here, internet people on the internet. We we've been here already with IE. Remember <laughs> IE? Yeah. Remember how whenever you wrote a web page, especially you web developer people, right? Remember when you had to make it work with IE? I don't even care if you was on a Mac. You would have to spin up Windows into a virtual machine so you could test your website against IE because if it didn't work, it didn't work. And it may as well not exist. All right, remember this? We're back here again with Chrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, I, I somewhat agree with what Michael is saying about the fact that Chromium, the underlying engine, Chromium, is what is pushing everything. Uh, so, uh, you know, like you said, Edge and Brave and possibly opera maybe if anybody uses that (laughs) Uh, here's the problem for me though things are being explicitly designed for chrome and chrome alone now i'm not talking about extensions or or what does chrome call them are there still extensions yeah there's still extensions like i that that's that's one thing right some things are gonna you know work on but when I get a website that only works in Chrome or a feature that only works in Chrome, uh, it's starting to annoy me because like Mike said, I don't always want to have to be in Chrome. Now, some of this is Apple's fault because they tend to have to tweak the web standard just a little bit 
to their specifications, which makes it non-compliant for everybody else. And most people don't want to do the additional work for Safari. But that, to me, enlarged the problem. We only have at this point right now, there's probably some that I don't know about, haven't heard of them. They really don't matter. Okay. Unless you live in a country where they're big, they don't matter. We have three primary web uh, browser engines that exist. There's Chromium, which has the biggest share of the market. And that's <laughs> not even counting edge. That's just Chrome by itself, honestly, has the biggest, like a, a runaway margin at this point uh, for lead browser. Uh, you throw in stuff that is Chromium based like Edge and like Brave and those numbers just go up even higher. That percentage goes up even higher. But we have Chromium, the engine uh, that powers all of these browsers. We have WebKit, which powers Safari. Uh, the only reason WebKit is even in the argument for any kind of uh uh, grasp of, of or percentage of usage is because of iPhone, mobile, mm. iPad, and iPhone. It's because everybody has to use WebKit on iOS yeah. or iPad OS. But you have Chromium, you have WebKit, and you have, I'm going to say Mozilla because I don't think they call it Gecko anymore, as it used to be called. And I don't know what it's called right now at the moment. Right. But Firefox, which has its own web rendering engine. Now, shout out to the Firefox people too. Like they are I'm gonna drop a link in the show notes that I found today as we're recording that will probably have updated information by the time this episode releases. But they have a uh Marco Z. Uh I saw it on Twitter. Has a link to a wiki page where they're they're continually adding uh the features that they have improved on are working on etc etc with accessibility for firefox on the mac so big shout out to firefox for finally finally getting there mm -hmm. uh, on the mac they're not 100 percent all the way there yet but finally the attention is being paid to it so thanks for that appreciate it so we have three engines we have chromium we have webkit which is safari and we have uh firefox's thing it used to be called gecko uh which is kind of cool um My concern is that we're going to find ourselves in a situation where the and this is really a, this is a concern generally, but I'm also concerned as a blind as, as a blind person, which is why I'm so happy that Mozilla is now finally starting to focus on accessibility on the Mac. I do not like the seeming trend of one let's build everything to work on chrome because everybody uses chrome well the reason mm. they're using chrome is you get into a chicken and egg situation first right like you end up in a chicken and egg situation uh source connect now which we have used in the past and probably use again in the future to record this show or to yep. talk to each other as we record this show does not work in safari now at this point, I know that WebRTC works in Safari, which is what Source Connect now is using uh, under the hood to make all that work. I know that works in Safari now. It did not when they first introduced it, but now it does because I can do a Hangout in Safari where I used to not be able to do that. Hmm. Nope. Excuse me. Google Meet. Yes. Yes. Uh, in Safari where I used to not be able to do that, right? It was just unsupported. Well, they have not bothered yet to update their software to work in Safari. So I don't have a choice but to go to Chrome because it doesn't work in Safari. <clears throat> Does that mean the whole world uses Chrome? Yeah, because you just made me use Chrome. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I'm concerned by that because as a blind person, like Firefox not being completely 100% accessible on the Mac for all these years has literally only given blind people two options. Use mm-hmm. Safari and don't have some stuff work. Uh, or use Chrome and sacrifice whatever privacy that you're giving up there. Now, it may not be a huge concern to most people. And I'm not saying don't use Chrome because they're a privacy nightmare. Because overall, they're not too bad. And Google tends to kind of tell you what they're going to do and what they're doing. Like, yeah. I haven't really heard of anybody. Just, just, But, you know, there's this Keystone application. I don't know anything about it. But this Google Chrome installs crap on the Mac that I don't understand why it's there. Why it's there. Uh, like this little Keystone agent. And a little automatic update agent. And occasionally on a fresh install of Mac OS, I have experience where I install Chrome. And then the next time I reboot, Chrome automatically opens. Because it has set itself to automatically open hmm. when I log in. Like, weird shit like that, I don't appreciate. Uh, are they spying on me? Probably most likely not. Right. But don't insert yourself in my system where you don't need to be because you feel like you want to have, you know, hooks into the system to do your own thing. Oh, I just want to update in the background. Let me update when I feel like updating. Maybe <laughs> I don't want the new version. Maybe I don't want your fix for accessibility that you added in the new version and then act like it didn't. <laughs> just exist. try the latest wow. version. <laughs> just try the latest version, man. Look, I want to try the latest version to 2020 because this version I got right now sucks. I'm just saying. <laughs> Where's the update? Right. Right. Uh, that's at the time of recording. So uh, maybe 2021 is better. Maybe that's the upgraded version because it's one number bigger, right? So mm-hmm. either it gets better or it gets worse because it's one number bigger. And I hope bigger. it doesn't get worse. Oh, man. The worst <laughs> could get bigger, right? <sighs> at the time we're recording this vaccine, vaccinations have started for uh, COVID. In the U.S. Uh, yeah, in the U. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Good deal, Mike. I did. I did not know that. I thought everybody was getting them. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no. they are starting in the U.S. So, granted, we're recording this on December fourteenth, twenty twenty. Right. So, at the point in time that me and Michael are recording this, we don't know what has already happened. That you already know as you're listening to this. So. Um, I hope the best has gone for people with the vaccines and everything is working okay. But if there's a horrible uh, mishap somewhere, we we didn't know about it because they just started yeah, today. Yeah, we're, uh, we're we're not being insensitive to it. Uh, thank you. That's what I was trying. That's why I brought it up because I didn't. I thought about. It. I didn't want people listening to the show at the time that they publishes and be like, "Well, man, I can't believe they didn't say anything about that." Man, all the people who right. you know, whatever the case may be, like we didn't address it. It's because we don't know about it. That's why we have hopefully got to more regular publishing, not regular, more often publishing schedules for everyone, and we won't be as far behind. But we've got ourselves a buffer window, so we're. We're doing pretty good. We're going to start experimenting with some new technologies in Discord in 2021. Demasi doesn't know yet. Well, he does. He just hasn't got on there yet. Man, so I downloaded Discord for iOS, and I need to scroll back through messages and tap on your link. I need to resend you the link because they're only valid for 24 hours. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, Yeah. so I was waiting until you told me you downloaded it, and then I was going to resend it to you. Okay, well, I do have it downloaded. I actually okay. just had an update today uh, huh. to version 52 point something. Also. And iOS has an update today, too, to 14.3. And watchOS has an update to 7.2. I have not gotten that yet for the watch. I have done the iOS yeah. 14.3 update. And I think I'm at the point now that I'm going to wipe my phone. <laughs> uh, 
I just start over. Don't forget to do a backup or you're going to lose your streak. Oh. <laughs> uh, right here at this point. I don't have a streak to worry about. Oh, okay. Man, okay. man whatsoever. Not in to-do's, not in oh, workouts. Oh, man. You had to bring that up. So Thursday, I'm like, man, I'm doing pretty good. 36 days in my streak for to-do's. Everything's good. And then Friday, I forgot to mark anything off. Mm. And my weekends are Saturday and Sunday. If I would have waited one more day and forgot, then it wouldn't have mattered. But, yeah, I lost my streak. I was not too thrilled. <laughs> oh, man, that is terrible. And, and it's so. nothing. Like, it, it really means absolutely nothing. It, it has no value. It's just, well, I've been well, using this I mean, app. it does. I think it does have a value, though. Um, I, I think it actually does have a, a, a value because you're motivated to continue that streak, right? Yeah. So on a day where you may not, you may look at your task list and be like, I don't know if I'm doing none of that shit. But it's like, man, <laughs> you at 80, you're at 87 days, dude. You're almost to 100. You right. really want to break the streak right now? Yeah. yeah. Uh, My longest streak is 85 days or 87 or something like that. So that is my goal to get over that. And maybe 2021 will be different. And as I told Rumia on today, as of recording December 14th uh, show, I'm going to start journaling more in 2021, uh, starting in 2021. Because if I'm being honest with you, I only remember parts of 2020. Like there's a lot of the year that I know I did something or I know something happened, but I don't know, like, I can't remember it. Mm, so I was thinking about that, thinking about journaling for 2021, uh, listening to Cortex yeah. uh, earlier. And they're talking about their, their theme for the upcoming year, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. I was going to steal that, and then I thought about, well, one, we ain't talked about it at all. I don't have anything to really say other than, okay, let's pick us a theme for next year. And I don't even have one. Uh, and then secondly, uh, by the time this episode released, it wouldn't really make sense. Yeah. Because it's so out of time. Well, uh, but, I, I'm, I'm going to commit to journaling and I want to try to do daily. I want to try daily. Even if it's just putting five sentences down, talking about what happened that day. Because one of the reasons that I like Facebook, and I'll admit this, is the this day in history or, or this memories that they they call it your memories. So I can see six years, five years ago, I had Nicholas and Nicholas and Ben were eating candy canes and it means nothing. Well, I shouldn't say it doesn't mean anything. It, it's a, what a seemingly little thing, just remembering, Oh, they were eating candy canes together when we were in Pendleton five years ago. But I knew that Nicholas was had come down five years ago, but I didn't remember any of the things that we were doing. And using my own version, such as day one is really what I'm looking at for journaling, a combination of day one and drafts, uh, using that to be able to keep track. Day one will give you this, like your memories every year. So that's okay. That's what I'm gonna I, I was going to ask about that because I was like, "Huh? Do we need to go roll one of those open source social media things so nope. we can get that feature? Because that nope. is a nice feature. Like I, I and look, I, like to be fair, I I understand why people use Facebook. Mm-hmm. I, I I do understand the appeal to Facebook, right? Because if I had been using Facebook consistently over the past few years, there would be a lot more stuff up there about my kids. There'd be a lot more pictures of my kids, possibly. Um. So I would get those notifications like, oh, you know, a, a year ago today, uh, you were getting, you know, trying to put together Lincoln's baby bed or something like, right. you know, well, not a year ago today, but you know what I mean? You know, you get stuff like that. Uh, and like you said, it, 
Is it valuable to you? Yes, because it does remind you of something that was good. It's just like 2020, right? Like I was listening to uh, Cortex and Mike was talking about how for them, you know, uh, for him and probably for a lot of other people from March to May was like a bloodbath. Like things were horrible for people. And I remember March and May being March through May being stressful Mm. Uh, being concerning, but I don't remember it being a bloodbath for me financially. Like I don't, I, I remember coming through that quite well. Uh, right. we weren't starving. The only thing we had a hard time doing was getting toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yep. And maybe some but, meat, maybe. I don't well, know. If see, you I, didn't, I didn't really have that problem. Yeah. Yeah. See. Uh, but if you were journaling all this year, it would be interesting. I, I would to actually know a look at what it really was like then. So yeah, that's, that's my, my vision for 2021 is to start a consistent journaling process, even though we're already into it. So hopefully I've started it by the time I start recording this podcast. <laughs> well, we can, we can follow up though. Yes. You know, to be out there and we'll, we'll follow up in February uh, episode sometime in February to see, you know, where do we have, 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 how have we done so far? So one thing that I'm considering doing a journey might be a thing also, uh, should look at that. I should check out day one. I was thinking about rolling my own little system inside of day one's encrypted, uh, even in transport too. So, uh, well, I, I hadn't thought about day one when I was thinking about it. So I was thinking, oh, I guess I'll make a workspace in drafts or something and, and, and do a thing. But actually, day one might be the way to go. Uh, that would be nice. I can add pictures to the photos and, and all sorts of things like that. Yep. Uh, so I'll probably look at that. Uh, another thing I want to do in 2021 is, um, I don't really have a theme because I, you need to think of a name for a theme, right? But I do want to be, more consistent about things i think if i were gonna pick a thing that would be what i would call it the year of consistency maybe like i want to be more consistent about things uh that includes just like basically like i don't check stuff often to do it a lot of times <laughs> like i don't think i checked off that i had done dm61 until like you, until published. we were on the phone talking about it yeah uh yeah. Yep. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should check that off because I am actually done. Uh, and it was done. <laughs> and like you already knew I was done at that point, but I hadn't checked it off. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, bad habits like that, that causes things to slip. So I, I want to become more consistent uh, with things and probably committing to trying to start to journal would help with that. Because, number one, uh, I could look back and be like, oh, OK, well, this past week I've actually done quite well because here's some data to prove that. Right. Mm-hmm. I checked off stuff and to do it, got these things done. Uh, and I wrote about the things or, or whatever was going on in a journal. So like that, that's probably a good idea. So to make it fun, there is integrations with uh, different services and web services with day one. So you could set it up to keep a journal entry that marks off all the tasks that you completed within a week. If you want to, if, if, if automation makes you explore wanting to draft, wanting to, to journal more. And then of course there's direct integrations from drafts to day one as well. So you wouldn't have to use the day one interface unless you were adding mm. pictures to journal entries. Hmm. I wonder if I could, I wonder if I could do a markdown link to an image and then have them pull it in yep. or at least render it. 
Like, would they just render the image? They don't necessarily have to pull it into day one. Would they just render the image in day one? Mm, good call. So, yeah, looks like we're playing with journaling this year. So head on over to yourownpay.com slash DM65. Let us know what you are going to do more of in 2021 and how that's coming along. Because when you're hearing this, we should be a couple of weeks into 2021. And here's to it being a better year than what 2020 was. You can reach out to me on Twitter at Payom, P-A-Y-O-W-N. And he is on Twitter at Damasi, D-A-M-A-S-H-E. You've been listening to Your Own Pay Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, visit yourownpay.com slash cast for exclusive content and to contact us today. We're eager to hear your thoughts and about how you're making this podcast your own. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. The Your Own Pay Podcast, yourownpay.com.